So. Okay, let me uh, let me uh, make this gizmo do what I need it to do. And all right. And I'll bring up my text and I'll hit play. Okay. Well, hello everybody from the heart of the former French concession in this enormous teeming ocean of a city. Shanghai is unfathomably huge in every way. When you manage to get up high, like looking through the windows of my son Raphael's office windows in Shanghai's new central business district from his 31st floor desk. This is what you see. You simply can't see your way to the end of the dense urban form, apartment buildings, parks, highways, shopping centers, all as far as the eye can see. And when I hit that, my text went away. Uh, this skyline, this new skyline, these buildings weren't even there the last time I was there, uh, are two of the tallest buildings in the world. Now, when I'm on the road, I always like to go to church. Um, in South Africa, in Mozambique, in, uh, in Spain, in Italy, uh, wherever I go, I try to find an Anglican church and go to church. Not that easy. Here is the old Anglican church in Shanghai. And you think, oh, swell, it looks really nice, except it's not a church any longer. That's part of the problem with trying to go to church. It's part of the complex where the old British consulate sits now, also no longer the British consulate. This was the heart of the British concession in Shanghai. Uh, the big European powers and the United States and Japan all had concessionary land in the trade port that is Shanghai and forced the Chinese under abusive and unequal terms to simply grant land for them to do their business. And there was a beautiful English boys school that looked like it could have been standing in Oxford or Harrow or Eton somewhere in the British countryside, Buckinghamshire. But of course, these places were seized after the 1949 revolution and were no longer British property. So where do you go? You look around the city. Oh, hey, there's the Methodist Church right near Nanjing Road, one of the major east-west arteries of old Shanghai. But um, that's not the Methodist Church anymore. It's part of the state-run Chinese Protestant Church. That's a Catholic church, but those churches are not, strictly speaking, part of the Catholic church as you know it, uh, maybe St. Anne's right near St. Columbus. Uh, this is part of the Chinese patriotic church, which is a separate church. This is the old Anglican church in Nanjing. And this is where I went to church when I was in Nanjing. It looks like it dropped out of the sky um, landed from the British Midlands somewhere. But it, unfortunately, is no longer an Anglican church either. It's a Chinese Protestant church that has one weekly service in English and not in the Anglican style of worship. 
it was a sort of happy, clappy, non-denominational, um, hard to pinpoint kind of vacation Bible school service. Uh, nothing wrong with that. And the people who were there were uh, for it were very happy with it, but it lacked some of the grandeur of the Book of Common Prayer, you might say. So I searched around. I was going to be here for four months, and I didn't want to not go to church. When I left the house on August 23rd, I didn't want to not go to church until Christmas, which was what was in the cards. And out in a suburban, far-flung neighborhood, way far away from the center of town, this is one of the new districts on the outskirts of Shanghai, it turns out there was something called Trinity Congregation. And what it offered was an Anglican-ish style of worship. It's not part of the Church of England. It's not part of the American Episcopal Church. It is not associated with the Taiwanese or Hong Kong branches of the Anglican Communion. It was just an independent congregation that offered the Anglican style of worship. But unlike any other Episcopal church or Anglican church you've ever attended anywhere in the world, when you turn up at the borrowed space in a modest, modern Chinese Protestant church, you have to uh, register in advance to be able to attend services, give a uh, picture of your passport bio page. You have to uh, promise that you are not a Chinese citizen. And you go in, you get your leaflet, Trinity Congregation of Abundant Grace. And right at the bottom of the leaflet, it says, in accordance with the laws of the People's Republic of China, only foreign passport holders are allowed to attend services here at Trinity Congregation. And they won't let you in if you haven't registered. Well, you also have to show a health code to show that you have tested negative for COVID in the last 48 hours and you're in. And up at the front, you'll notice a, a woman is holding up a chalice. She is not a priest. She is the liturgist. She is a layperson who is pitching in because there is no priest at Trinity Congregation. The priest left during the worst of the pandemic for family reasons and hasn't been able to get back into the country. So this is a congregation without a priest that still has communion every week. Now, the priest does appear. Uh, he has been in various places, uh, on the shores of the Dead Sea, um, in a, uh, a retreat center in a Protestant university in Germany, and now he's back in the American Midwest. He's ordained in the ACNA, the Anglican Church of North America, and he appears to read the gospel and preach a fairly small O Orthodox sermon based on that week's lectionary readings. And then when he's done, we go back to the liturgist who then leads us in communion says the prayer of consecration, uh, distributes bread and wine. And I asked the liturgist about this, and she says, oh, oh, don't worry. Father Allen consecrated 
a very large amount of bread and wine before he left Shanghai so everything would be proper. And that is an amazing assertion because how proper is it really? <laughs> Here we are in Shanghai with no priest, having communion every week, having a lay person um, in effect, and, I, and I'm trying not to be flip about it, uh, say the magic words uh, because we have no one to do it. And it got me to thinking as I was sitting there at church, you know, is the bread uh, imbued with the real presence? Is the wine imbued with the real presence? Because the person saying the prayer of consecration is an ordained person, a priest. Or is it the form? Is it the words they say that makes it? Or is it the fact that the congregation accepts that it is uh, filled with the real presence of the body and the blood? These are, um, well, you might say they're uh, uh, theological questions above my pay grade, but I sometimes ask myself, well, what am I doing there after all? What is it? that I am there to do on any given Sunday. And what it is, is really to tap into, to um, be at home when I'm 7,000 miles away from home, to um, be with people in a way that I, I know, even though I know not a single soul in that congregation, except to say hi and maybe have a cup of coffee with them, uh, they're they're strangers to me, lovely people, but strangers to me. So what is it that we're all doing there? The place has been crushed by the pandemic. The attendance at service is tiny. It's running out of money. As a matter of fact, the lay leader of the congregation, the head of the board, it doesn't have a vestry, it has a board. The head of the board announced during announcements today that they are running out of money because of reduced giving and reduced attendance and may literally run out of money at the beginning of next year. So, um, you know, it is a fascinating thing. I really wanted to still go. I really wanted to stay connected. I really wanted to hear the lectionary readings and uh, get a couple, a little sustenance for the week uh, from someone who's preaching uh, based on the uh, based on that week's lectionary, and uh, it was important to me, so I had it, went and did it. But these have been amazing times in Shanghai. Gotta tell you, these are last weekend's demonstrations. Uh, I have not suddenly grown taller, nor the Chinese people grown shorter. Uh, I was holding up my camera way over my head, as far over my head as I could get it. There were enormous demonstrations in Shanghai last week. The government was freaked out. Uh, they were repeated in big cities all over the country. Uh, people shouted their defiance at the police, chanted Xi Jinping resign, stop the tests, stop the restrictions, make us free. It was a remarkable thing. What the police did was basically stand and watch at the as the crowds got larger and larger, but the police presence got larger and larger as well. And when the police were there in number, they finally started to push back and make arrests. But it was an astonishing thing to watch and feel like you're 
caught up in the history of this place for the moment, caught up in something really transformational that's happening. Now my neighborhood is crawling with police and there are barriers erected uh, all over my neighborhood, which was the epicenter of the demonstrations. It has been a tumultuous week in China and a tumultuous week in Shanghai. Uh, the barriers make it harder uh, for a spontaneous demonstration uh, to begin. And it is a, uh, it is really just amazing, just an amazing time to be here. Well, uh, you can see that this, um, this says, Merry Christmas. They didn't quite get the, they got the sentiment right, but they didn't quite get the spelling right. <laughs> Christmas decorations are popping up all over Shanghai. And here, Christmas is celebrated very pleasantly, uh, very enthusiastically, uh, but it's totally has no religious associations at all. It is strictly another holiday, like 1111, uh, like a, a holiday during the spring, devoted to consumption among a people who are suddenly, and I mean suddenly, really wealthy, something that they never could have imagined they would be before. The party is very much in charge. The party is uh, very much dictating the pace of life and the pace of the economy and uh, how people are, are being um, restricted and uh, limited by the, the uh, pandemic. But really, uh, Christmas, there this trees for sale around the corner from my apartment. There's decorations popping up all over the place. And yet this is a place with absolutely no uh, religious associations for Christmas. Uh, the party is very much in charge and very much uh, dictates uh, the pay, uh, everything. You know, if you're a band that's coming to play in Chinese cities, a popular entertaining group, you have to submit the songs and the song lyrics of the sets that you plan to play in your concerts to the censors before you come here to China. And they have to inspect all the lyrics and give you permission to play the songs. The religion of China these days, if there is one, is making money. It is a, you know, the Chinese gross domestic product is 40 times larger than it was 30 years ago. Think of that. The economy has grown 40 times in the lifetime of a young adult. So the place has become indescribably richer at a pace that I think is makes people a little crazy. You know, I, I've seen this opulent and enormous showroom for the Mercedes Maybach. That's a car that sells for $185,000 per automobile. I've seen more Lamborghinis and Ferraris in three months in Shanghai than I'd see in three years in the United States. The opulence of the retail, the jaw-dropping ex excess of the shopping malls, the joy and the savor and the zest that people have for shopping and wearing designer brands and showing off the fact that they're wearing Adidas or Nike or Fila or any of the other internationally known brands is tremendous. If you talk to exporters of luxury goods like 
uh, luggage or jewelry, uh, Louis Vuitton bags, um, single malt scotch purveyors. China has gone from nowhere to being one of their top markets in the world in a very short stretch of years. So it has been an amazing, instructive, jaw-dropping, surprising, wonderful, challenging time here uh, to see a place up close and live in the rhythms of a place that is simply untethered to religion, not even as part of an old tradition, not even, you know, Italians don't go to mass by and large, but Ferragosto in August, the Feast of St. Mary the Virgin, is one of the most important days of the calendar. Uh, Candlemas in Britain is still widely celebrated and people flock to churches for special Candlemas services, even though the other 51 weeks of the year, English churches are empty. The Anglican church is in crisis, but there is a way, a way that's handed down, part of tradition, part of the way uh, religion sets a cultural thermostat in other countries that is simply absent here. And it is interesting to be in the midst of a society that's in that kind of change, in the throes of that kind of change. Two thirds of the buildings in this skyline were not here when I was here in 2011. It is amazing. It is just jaw-dropping. And uh, I will happily talk to you about it at coffee hour when I'm with you. Um, but um, I, I don't want to uh, go on with my, uh, you know, what I did on my uh, my fall vacation slideshow here for much longer. I think it's better if I uh, come back to the full screen, if I can figure out how and uh, and take some of your questions. How do I get back to my full screen? Goodness me. Uh, at, at the top, it will say like end sharing screen, I think. But I've, I've got you nice and large on the screen, Ray, so they can ah, see you. Okay. Yeah, in fact, don't worry about it. Ta-da, I figured it out. I'm back. Yeah, you know what, it makes more sense. Just if... go here and be on the screen. Yeah. I'm not used to this, but I'll do it. <laughs> Hi. He knows who he's talking to, right? He can see my face. Hi. I just wonder if you would say anything about U.S. Um, international broadcasting, if it has any um, resonance over there. We're talking about the Voice of America, Radio Free Asia. Do they resonate? Do they make it have any impact? Well, there is something called the Great Firewall. China uh, has control of the internet. The Chinese government has control of the internet. So there are simply international news sites that you cannot go to if you are the average Chinese. Uh, if you try to use a, a virtual private network, a VPN, uh, you're in breach of the law and you're not supposed to be using it. Uh, Chinese are not supposed to go on Twitter. They're not supposed to go on Facebook. They're not supposed to go on many social media sites and unless they can get around the firewall to do so, they can't visit them. But it's funny, there is a kind of honoring of the hypocrisy in the breach. Um, Chinese government figures have Twitter accounts 
because they know so many Chinese get around the firewall and get around the limitations. So they are talking to each other on non-authorized social media. They are seeing uh, international news sites, but that's a small portion of the population. Most Chinese are not, uh, and the Chinese authorized social media sites are heavily censored. So if you post things on them that go against the government line, that are considered um, uh, subversive in any way or break the rules, your account can be taken down. Those tweets or, or text messages are simply censored and taken out of your feed. You can be barred from the internet. Uh, there is a, a tremendously sophisticated effort to try to keep the average Chinese citizen sealed off from what's going on in the rest of the world. I'll give you an example. In August, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights put out a report on conditions in the Western province of Xinjiang among the Muslim population in Western China. And I was being quarantined in a Hilton hotel. So there was regular television in the hotel room. But when I watched CNN, anytime that story started to come on the air, the screen would go black. So there was somebody watching CNN on behalf of the Chinese government and able to flip a switch that simply took CNN off the air so you could not see that story. It was remarkable. Um, during the World Cup recently, they didn't want the average Chinese citizen, sports mad country, so everybody's watching the soccer, uh, they didn't want the average Chinese citizen to see that all the people in the stands weren't wearing masks. And they didn't want them to see that all the people in the stands were sitting close together, crowded in together in a regular stadium setting, because you simply can't do that in China. Hugging and not wearing masks and cheering and all that, that hasn't gone on here for almost three years now. So whenever the international broadcasters went to the stands for a celebration of a goal, you know, the, the Tunisian fans, Tunisia just scored a goal. You went to the bench and you saw the players sitting there and the coach walking along the sidelines until the cheering was over. And then they would go back to the action on the field. That's how thorough the censorship is. Interesting. Question. <laughs> I actually have a question. Um, uh, my family were missionaries in China. And when we uh, went back in 2014, we found the church in Beijing where my great grandfather had had his church. And it was just like you say, you had to sign up and there were all sorts of cameras in the congregation, although Chinese could worship there. But, you know, the government. It was probably a Chinese Protestant church then. It was. Yes, yeah. it was like Beijing church number one or whatever. Um, but we also know that there's a really active underground church, Christian church in China. Have you seen any evidence of that or how? Yes, one of my son's friends is a member. And I had dinner with her recently. And I talked to her a lot about it. She is um, a lovely woman, uh, uh, ferociously faithful, tremendously sincere. And she went to college in, uh, in College Park at the University of Maryland. 
So I said to her, well, it must have been easier to be a Christian uh, and make up your own mind about these things when you were in College Park. And she said, you know, that was the only time in my life that I didn't go to church. I didn't like the church there. And what, what emerged from our conversation was that she felt a kind of rigor of commitment that was involved in being a part of a house church that was going underneath the radar, that was not seen by the officials. She found a kind of rigor and seriousness of purpose in that, that she didn't find in the Protestant student ministry in the University of Maryland in College Park. She said it was just really difficult to find a church when she was living in a country where nobody cared whether you went to church and you could go to church wherever and whenever you wanted. Um, it, it almost didn't put any pressure in the pipe for her. Uh, so she uh, is an every Sunday attender and an often midweek attender, and they have a rotating uh, series of places where they meet and worship and are not part of the officially sanctioned Chinese Protestant church. Um, it's hard to get a good figure on how many of those people there are, which is why estimates, for instance, of the number of Catholics uh, vary all the way from six to 12 million people, because they're not sure exactly how many people are out there. And a lot of people are purposely below the radar because they simply do not want to align themselves with either of the government-endorsed, um, government-sanctioned uh, churches, the Chinese Protestant Church and the uh, Patriotic Catholic Church, which for a long time was separated from Rome because the Vatican wanted to uh, appoint its own bishops. And the Chinese insisted, they said, you can't appoint bishops in our country without getting our say-so. And there was um, basically 50 years of tension between the Vatican and Beijing. They have more recently worked that out. They're smoothing over, uh, making peace with each other. And um, the Vatican talks to the Chinese government about the appointment of bishops. It's not, the breach is not totally healed, but it is uh, much calmer than it's been earlier in the history of the two trying to get along. Ray, thanks for being with us during your evening. Um, you mentioned the unique relationship between the Chinese government and religion, which is different from ours. But then you also mentioned the phenomenon of consumption and, you know, consumerism, which doesn't actually seem very different from many other countries. And I'm wondering if you can comment on some of the dynamics you see between either religious life or lack thereof and the phenomenon of conspicuous consumption? Well, um, the Communist Party uh, kind of made a deal with the people here. They basically said, we will make you rich and we will make this country secure and proud. Just don't ask us to make it any freer. And if you don't ask us to do that, we will make it possible for you to get richer. And so far, so far, uh, people have taken the deal. Um, 
you know, there I saw a flash, a glimpse of what it might look like when people decide they don't want that deal anymore last week, when these demonstrations erupted all over China, when my students wanted to talk about what was going on in the streets and talk about their own decisions about whether to be a part of it or not. Um, of course, those demonstrations were not, even though they happened in all the major cities, they were not on Chinese television. They were not on the news broadcasts in this country. They were like a secret passed from person to person over social media until the authorities could chase them down and take them down. So um, I guess there's a limit to the desires of the human heart that can be fed, that can be filled by material things. But don't forget, I mean, I, I see grandchildren that tower over their own grandparents because their grandparents were not very well fed. Their grandparents are old enough to remember episodic famine in this country. And now the number of obese people in China doubles every year. Uh, they are mostly uh, trim and, and in very good shape. Uh, but there are now heavier and heavier people. And uh, because the social safety net is not as strong as it is in other countries in the world, uh, the CDC, before it was worrying about COVID-19, was very worried about smoking and the growing rates of obesity. Uh, but last weekend, people were being arrested for holding up blanks, blank pieces of paper. Blank because the things they would have wanted to write on them are forbidden to write on a sign. So I want to see what this place is like in five years or 10 years, whether the Chinese people are becoming disenchanted with the deal that they've made with the all-powerful state. Make us rich and we won't bother you too much about making us free. Some people I talk to are fed up and many are not, or simply accept the state of affairs as the way things are in a kind of fatalistic way that encourages them to make their own lives as satisfying as possible, say the things that they wanna say quietly and to each other and not in a public way, um, stay out of trouble, keep their nose clean and live lives that are satisfying to them in other ways. There are pressures and contradictions and conflicts quietly building in this society that may force change down the road, change that's going to be consequential because one out of every six people on the planet lives in this country. So you can be sure that the choices the people of this country make are going to mean a lot to the rest of the world. So. Um, yes, uh, materialism is not the be-all and end-all of everything, uh, but it is fascinating to be in a place that even has very little cultural memory of religion being that kind of social thermostat that turned your face away from other things besides just having a closet full of really great clothes. Hi. Hi, very good. Uh, good evening. Uh, thank you for this uh, report from the edge, so to speak. Um, uh, question, do you have this app that we all read about where it turned red or green or yellow? And uh, is this? Yes, is this... I do. Where, where's my phone? <laughs> and one other quick question. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we hear about this three plus seven, zero plus seven. Um, can you just jump in a taxi right now and take it to Pudong Airport? Uh, is that I can possible? I can leave. Yeah, leaving's easy. Getting in's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, they are talking about changing the quarantine provisions uh, in the coming weeks. I think the government realizes just how frustrated and unhappy people are, uh, and it's already started to change. This is my health code. I don't know uh, how well you can see it, but the center of it is green. If I were to take a test, a COVID test that uh, that came back positive, it would turn red and would carry on it a message that I am to stay in place and not go anywhere until I'm contacted by the CDC. Now, would it mean that I had necessarily contracted COVID? No, it would mean because it's all batch testing. Every time I take a test, it goes in a test tube with seven to 10 other tests. So it would mean that somebody else that I tested with tested positive for COVID, but I would have to remain away from everybody else until they got to me, until they sent a health person to me, where my wherever my location was, to give me a test on the spot. And until then, I would be confined. Uh, there are people living in dormitories and they've built some huge dormitories on the outskirts of all the major cities uh, when you first come to the country you have to spend 10 days in quarantine if you are uh, not somebody with a permanent address so i had to spend 10 days because i didn't have an apartment yet if you have a permanent address you can often spend the last three days of those 10 days quarantine in your own apartment uh, but it has been tremendously onerous economically. Uh, they shut down plants when anybody gets a positive COVID test. They shut down businesses when anybody who has had a positive COVID test has been to that business. And how do they know? They're tracking you constantly. You have to scan in and show your health code whenever you enter a business. So they know if your code turns red, they know every place that you've been in the last several days. And then they alert every business that you visited, every shopping mall, um, the stations uh, on the metro that you went through. They alert all your close contacts that, that you've had a positive COVID test and uh, try to nail you down. Uh, my son went to the, um, the USA World Cup game in the middle of the night at a sports bar and another foreigner had visited five other bars that night and visited his bar and tested positive for COVID. And they tracked thousands of people who had been to that bar to watch the World Cup game and tried to confine them all. Things are starting to change in the next 48 hours. Tomorrow morning when I get on the subway, I won't have to show a health code. And that's for the first time in nine or 10 months that you haven't had to show a health code to get on the subway. So things are starting to loosen up a little bit. We'll see where it goes. Hiya, Joe. Hey. <laughs> Great to see you, Ray. Uh, you mentioned about the religion and my, my, my thought went to what I think of as the role of religion that it's, you know, how did we all get here? 
what are we supposed to do while we're here uh, and, and what happens to us later? And, and it sounds like in China currently that the Chinese Communist Party is sort of crafting the, the answers and the structures of that for people and providing them that, 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 that need that I think people inherently have. Uh, if you don't have religion, they'll, they'll invent it uh, or have it provided for them. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the little bit of history I know in the Western world, in the United States, that as people get wealthy, that changes uh, and people view it very differently. And if you uh, sense that people in general or, or the government there, the party, uh, anticipate that as people become wealthier, and inevitably, there's going to be an economic decline at some point. So this great deal, it doesn't only go in one direction uh, about what that may mean for their future. Well, the I think you're right. That That's a very perceptive comment that uh, in the Chinese case, the party and the government and the party and the government are kind of the same thing, tries to fill in all the places that in other times, in other countries, in other eras, um, religious authorities have tried to fill in those places. Uh, the party um, sets the tone on a civic spirit, a civic narrative, and takes the place of religion. Uh, but as the country does get richer um, and people get better educated and remain self-aware, uh, they, may, they may demand things that uh, the party is not willing to give. And I see that day coming down the road, and that's going to be an interesting test for both the people. Are they going to continue to push when the party says no? And will the party continue to say no when the people start to push? This was uh, this pandemic was one of the tests. And so far, the party is not looking like it's going anywhere. It wants to be the answer to all those questions of the human heart. Uh, in a way that religion won't be in a country like China. Uh, was not uh, before the communists took over and is not going to be uh, even if they loosen their grip on the right now monopoly of power that they currently enjoy. It is a remarkable thing to watch. They have provided a very high level of public service. There are new hospitals, new schools everywhere you look. Um, there's new roads and new subway stations, new train stations and new airports. They have kept their part of the bargain so far. But uh, as Joe mentions, uh, there are some tensions building up inside the economy that may not be able to provide that level of breakneck growth that they've seen over the last 30 years. And uh, there are some challenging times ahead for this country. Hey, Hi, Steve. From uh, Sleepy Hollow, we wish you a uh, Merry Christmas. Okay. Um, and I'm the last person asking a question, uh, so you need to have a short answer. But is there anything you can tell us about uh, China and Taiwan? And let's assume that you're, you're being watched by everybody in China here. So, so carefully choose your words. Well, I think uh, the meeting between President Biden and Xi Jinping in just the past couple of weeks uh, lowered the temperature a couple of notches on Taiwan. The, Taiwani, uh, the Taiwan issue was a big deal here. The Chinese were very upset that Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. 
The Chinese were very upset that Joe Biden seemed to, in their view, redefine uh, the American view of what it was willing to guarantee as far as autonomy and security for Taiwan. And I'm told by very reliable sources that uh, the meetings were both thorough, lengthy, and very constructive. A small detail, but I think an important one. Instead of having sequential translation, when the two leaders met with their note takers uh, at the recent G20 summit, they had earpieces and had simultaneously had simultaneous translations in their ear as the other spoke. Instead of waiting for a long statement, then waiting for the translator to go through the whole thing, and even with simultaneous translation, they spent three hours together. They talked about trade. They talked about high-tech imports and exports. They talked about Taiwan. They talked about the South China Sea. So it was, I'm told, a very constructive and very productive meeting and likely um, helped at least massage some of the tensions that were very real this year between the two countries. Thanks, sir. Merry Christmas. Good to see you. Thank you, Ray. Um, we know you have a new podcast, and we'd like to get that out to people. Are there other things that we could link to when we put this on the website or that people might want to know about so we can hear more? Well, if you, if you link uh, to the podcast on Shifting Ground or World Affairs, um, we're in the midst of transitioning from the old title, World Affairs, to the new title on Shifting Ground. Um, that would help me a lot. Anybody who uh, looks at this talk would be able to also um, uh, click to the podcast, and that would be much appreciated uh, by the people who helped me produce it. It's a, it's a good podcast, and it is also a radio show that's heard on public radio stations around the country, and uh, we're hoping for great things in the new year as we get carried by more stations. Great. Well, thank you very much. We know it's late there. Really appreciate it. Great to see you all. Bye-bye. I'll see you around Christmas.